God on the move. And it has been kind of our experience as it's like, after getting to know people and sometimes it's after couple hangouts or being in our home or something, then you discover like, oh, like Jesus is active in this person. You know, like Jesus is present and he's kind of hosting us together. And that's been kind of our experience. It's like, like treasure, the kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field. And we just like stumble upon it. In the Gospel of Mark, we read that one of the teachers came to Jesus and noticed that he had given some good answers to difficult questions. So he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important one? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus heard that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are listening to God on the Move, a Sun Movement podcast. And this is a story of how to find the kingdom of God in our neighbourhoods, like a treasure hidden in the field. The voice you heard earlier was Sam Kaminga. He and his wife Ruth made it their mission to find the kingdom of God in their neighbourhood, like a treasure hidden in the field. And here is their story. I'm Ruth Rodez Kaminga. I'm from Guatemala and I grew up in Guatemala and in Spain. I moved to the UK in 2018 to do my master's in international social development. And now we are here in London and we are part of Interchange, uh, which is a lower order. And um, we worked in Interchange together, but also we sat in our community, in our neighborhood, just as the neighbors. And, and at the same time, I'm I work as a researcher for a think tank in international social development. So we are new in, the, in London. And I'm, I'm Sam from Canada. I was born in an immigrant family from Dutch background and grew up in Canada and in places where it is super multicultural and you're meeting people from all over the world. Ruth and I met at their banner conference and a couple of years after that we got married in Guatemala. We have been building building a home here in London. And we're part of Interchange, which is a global missional order of teams among the, the poor. Based on the values of Micah six verse eight, with the focus of cultivating disciples of Jesus on the margins. Some of us are full time workers, others part time, others of us have other jobs where we study, etc. Um, so we're part of a team here, the whole mix of people based in Whitechapel here in the neighborhood. As an intercultural couple, Sam and Ruth were looking for a place to live in where there wouldn't be an exception. Since Ruth was living in the UK already, and London is one of the most culturally diverse places in all of Europe, which also offers good jobs in international development, it seemed only logical to move here. However, 
London is not just London. Bethnal Green has a very diverse population. Nearly 40% are of Bangladeshi descent and around 50% identify as Muslim. Not far away in Whitechapel is the East London Mosque, one of Europe's largest of its kind. Tower Hamlets, the borough where Bethnal Green and Whitechapel are located, has some of the highest levels of child poverty in the UK, with nine of the six most deprived neighbourhoods of the country, all having child poverty rates of above 50%. When asking why Sam and Ruth chose this area of all places, Sam said, When we were thinking about getting married, when we were engaged, we desire not just live life on our own, but to have a community around us, to have marriage mentors around us, and, and also to live in a neighborhood where we can get to know neighbors, and particularly neighbors that wouldn't be going to church or have different life experiences. And here in, in Bethel Green, Whitechapel, most of our neighbors are, are Muslim background, and it's also a landing spot for, for newcomers, uh, immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers from all over. We like that. Like we like to get to know people and, and learn from people and from different experiences, but to also have other Christians to be with us in that and to be living life with us and have support, have accountability, have mentorship even. So that's been a value for us. I think this neighborhood also has such rich richness coming from newcomers. And as a newcomer, you want to also be in that place where you feel kind of comfortable. You are new and someone else is new to you. Your neighbors can be. And I think that has been our experience, Louise. Uh, asylum seekers, you know, we are all new. We, uh, we need friends. We need a community. And here we are. Or like the strangers that were around us became our friends. And, and I think that can happen just in this type of neighborhood. It, that doesn't happen naturally in other parts of London, when everyone is a very individualistic and is like, yeah, I live in this flat and that's it. But I think here in this neighborhood, you can have a taste of that willingness to, to, to have a new friend. And I think that's something very particular from this neighborhood that we have been discovering. Um, and obviously it takes intentionality, but it can happen here in London. Just a quick recap, Sam and Ruth chose to live in a part of a city where many people wouldn't want to live. They were not only looking for a good church and Christian community, but rather a community of strangers and people of other backgrounds and beliefs. The practical implication for this is not just to live there, but to do life there. Sam and Ruth actively seek to meet people, to invite strangers into their house and to have fellowship with them and go visit and serve others. London, I mean, like most cities around the world, people can be so busy, right? We're so busy because we need to pay rent. We are working in a career that makes you work maybe extra hours or you're working towards something. And it makes me think of the parable, the banquet. Like Jesus says, someone threw a banquet, threw a party, and he sent inv invites out. And all these people began to make excuses why they couldn't come, you know. Oh, I just bought a field, they check it out. Oh, they have all these reasons why they can't go. And it's strange because typically for a wedding, for example, if like none of our guests who we invited could make it, we'd probably reschedule, pick a different day. I don't know. But the host doesn't do that, right? He doesn't reschedule the party. He says, okay, then go in the streets and invite the poor, 
invite those on the margins, invite the outcasts, basically invite those who are available. And that's been great experience like other places, but also here in London. I think it's easy to become busy, but even ourselves, we really try to really have to try hard not to be too busy, but to be available. And I think we've been finding those people who are available. For example, asylum seekers that they're not allowed to work. They're just in like in a waiting period. They don't have community. They don't have established friends. In the first six months, they can't even study. They have nothing really to do. So I think in this neighborhood, we're finding people who are available. I think typically it's people who are marginalized, people who are poor, who are often available, have the gift of time because they're not too occupied with their career or something else. Now here's Ruth sharing about a banquet experience with a friend from Somalia. He's a silent seeker and I remember one day we were getting ready to host a live meeting for Christian. Um, we had the home ready, but everyone canceled it. We got text saying, we can make it, we can make it. And um, it was fun because, okay, we left home. Uh, we went for a walk and we ran into this friend. And she was available and he came over and we shared with him the food. And it was the first time that we prayed together and he, he, he's Muslim. And so it was for us, like what Sam was saying, having this encounter with people who are very old and so that's something beautiful from this neighborhood. This whole picture of the banquet made me think about and ponder on the paradox of time. In large parts of the modern world, having time is a synonym for laziness and failure. Even in some Christian circles, you can get the impression that busyness is equivalent to importance. But at the same time, we all know that friendship, building relationships and living in community takes time. Jesus took that time. In the parable, we see that it's the people who are too occupied are the ones who are missing the party. Last year, we met another young man from Syria, Orthodox Christian, um, was even a monk for some time, and uh, his family experienced actually a good amount of persecution as Christians in Syria. And he didn't leave Syria until much later because he was caring for his, his family, his, his elderly parents, and it was his sisters who went to Germany. He stayed behind as the only son to take care of his parents. But then his sister couldn't get her husband to Germany from Syria. So then she ended up going back to take care of parents. And, and she told them, okay, you should go. And so then he went and he's got a quite incredible journey from Belarus to the UK. And he spent at least a month in the forest between Belarus and Poland trying to get up across that border. And it's, it's nightmarish. The stories from that, when you hear about people who've gone through that forest and spend winters in that forest and just to try to get into the Polish border. And Poland doesn't want these asylum seekers. And it's actually illegal to help the asylum seekers in Poland. But he got helped by, by a family. They had him in their home and they have, they con- have continued to have Asylum seekers, they'll hide in their home and help them continue on their journey. Many to Germany first, and then we've met some people like him and others who, after experiencing some some challenges in Germany, came to the UK. And it's been such a privilege to get to know this guy. He's become a brother, both of us. He's a beautiful, gentle man. And even here, actually, in, in his hotel, his residence for asylum seekers, he continues to experience Christian persecution. Because people tell him he's Arab, he should be a Muslim, he's a traitor, he's going to hell, and people have stolen his bike, people have popped his tires, really terrible treatment. But it's been beautiful just seeing this guy. I see him helping other asylum seekers, giving advice, helping him connect with different supports. 
our church had a, a night shelter running through the last winter in partnership with other churches in the neighborhood, a night shelter for people sleeping on the streets. And he was one of the most committed volunteers, both in the evening, cooking, cleaning, meeting people, sleeping overnight to make sure everything's going well, to hoovering in the morning, you know, he's a really beautiful guy. He's become a good brother. He just taught me how to make Arab coffee. <laughs> The best coffee. <laughs> well, he's Guatemalan beans, but he'll make it in the Syrian way. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful combination. And she said, do I, whatever needs to be done, you want help with anything, volunteering, let me know and he'll do it. But part of it is guys like him and other friends, there's often, they're, if they're not able to study or not able to work, then it's all this free time and they're looking for community more than just once a week meeting. And it means so much to people and just like it means so much for us to be invited into our home and to have a, a real relationship so we've been really encouraged by him and others that like yeah there's no problem finding volunteers for things anymore because i know all these guys who are just so helpful and so they just become such good friends even when we moved we had to move out of our place we had so much like mold and having issues in our flat in january and we had, we had to move and almost all the people helping us move were our asylum seeking friends there were like 12 nations represented. And, and even when our moving van didn't show up and we were waiting for hours, it got dark and these guys are still waiting. It's like, guys, I'm so sorry. You can go home. We're taking up your whole day. This is supposed to be a quick move. And so, you know, we're used to waiting. No, we're used to waiting. This is nothing. We don't mind. If I wasn't doing this, I'd, I'd be doing nothing else. I'd just be sitting in my room. And so, I mean, just the most gracious guys we've met from countries like Somalia, Iran, Syria, Cameroon. El Salvador, they've helped us, right? And they've helped us when we need help. We've been vulnerable and it's been just really good for us. Now, for many, especially young people, it's easy to say, well, I agree, making time and being available is important, but I don't even have any space, nor do I have the money to host people. An issue I personally struggled with when all we had was a small room that served as a bedroom, office, living room, dining room, all we had was our bed and a small desk. How can someone be hospitable under such circumstances? One mom from Iraq, she's now a single mom, so and she's a asylum seeker, and she made an incredible journey from Iraq across Europe. She landed in in France and then in a small boat. She she crossed the, the channel to the UK. And she did that journey while she was pregnant. And when we heard her story, we were so surprised how basically she survived. And, and now she's here. She lives in a tiny room with his uh, little boy. And she has been one of the person who has been so willing to welcome us in that tiny room. She can't afford anything, but she can afford like a really nice tea and chocolates, biscuits at her place. And I think it has been beautiful to, to meet her and she's open to have us over. That's another thing that you can't find people here in London who's so willing to bring you to, to your intimate space, you know, to your private space, which will be your home, your, your dining room, you know. And she has just a tiny room where we have been there has been kind of a mess because Obviously, she got that little boy, but she's available. She wants to hang out. She wants to have us over. 
And I think healthy just people being hosted by her. For reference, London is now the temporary home to over 5,000 asylum seekers. Because of a lack of appropriate accommodation, the Home Office has increasingly resorted to using hotels to accommodate asylum seekers. Under these circumstances, people are not able to live independently, they do not have access to facilities to cook their own meals and are reliant upon accommodation provider for food. People receive support payments of just £8 a week, which is intended to cover the costs of travel, non-subscription medication and clothing. And just to give you a framework of how much that is, the national minimum wage is £10.42 per hour. It is, has been the same from our friend from Tanzania. She's also a man, Muslim man, with three daughters in, in Tanzania. And we met her where she was living in the neighborhood. And she has been over like different times in our hug, but also she has been one of the, the most hospitable person that we have met here and um, she has welcomed us in her room and the hotel what she's offering is what she's receiving for free from the hotel and she's only receiving eight pounds per week and from this eight pounds she's buying kiwi and a nice biscuit and pepsi you know to welcome us and and having us over and i think for us has been also a new experience in the way how we are experiencing God presence with them. So especially when she had been here at home, she had been like saying, I think now I know what to do. One day I want to receive people over. So excuse me, I don't know how to behave because it's the first time that having friends. And I know I, I know that I need to offer these and, and be available and be like just friend, right? So. They have become really good friends of us. Uh, we hang out a lot with them. Part of their story too is not having much freedom. Like they both have to have had to escape really terrible marriages. They've been like discovering their new freedom. And mm-hmm. we feel really privileged to be welcome in their lives and shown hospitality by them. And to us, they remind us of Hagar in Genesis, like the first person in the Bible who gives God a name. She's used and sent away by Abraham and Sarah. And then when she's in the wilderness with her son about to die, God meets with her and says, you are the God who sees me. And that, I think what we see with these women is a beautiful persistence, but also an example of women. I mean, they, they're both Muslim women and they're, the Muslim account of that story is actually quite different. Abraham goes back to get them, to get Hagar. Whereas in the Bible, it's God that meets with her. And she's the first one in the Bible to give God a name, the God who sees me. And for us, it's been beautiful to see that God sees them. And they've really been highlighted to us as new friends for us. And I think about there's some language about asylum seekers. One of the words used are invasions of small boats. And you think about one of those invasions was this 20-year-old mother pregnant. You think about Mary fleeing persecution as well with Jesus. So she was coming here on a small boat overnight. She's talking about how, how scared she felt, how dangerous it was. Another pregnant woman had died she was journeying with. And we've been really grateful to get to know her just down, down the street. Before we continue with the story, I want to let you know that we want to share mission stories from the global church with the global church. So if you have a story to share, 
or know someone who might have, please contact us at podcast at lausanne.org. That is podcast at lausanne.org. Sam and Ruth have many, many other stories to share about how dorm neighbours went from a I hate Christians to wanting to read the Bible and giving their lives to Christ, how believers of other faiths have met Jesus in their dreams and then started asking questions about this good shepherd, how refugees start reading the Bible and praying for the first time, and so much more. While I could have just listened to all these stories and be warmed by them, the heart of this podcast is to inspire each believer into action, to take the next step in their context. So I was curious how to go about finding the kingdom of God in my neighborhood. And here are some practical tips they could share with me. I think saying I don't have time, it's, it's not true. <laughs> it's not. We, we have been using that as an excuse, but actually it's not, it's not true. I think everyone has some time available. Because when we stop thinking too much about ourselves, is when you see, oh, I have some time break on Saturday. I would say sometimes I get pretty busy. I have a very demanding job. Sometimes I'm finished super tired. And it's very easy for me just to say, oh, I just need to rest uh, this evening. And, and I would say I take this evenings, but also it brings so much life when I decide to just, okay, let's keep something in it that will be a boom dad and let's invite someone over. And that brings some kind of beautiful, restful time that renews you in some way. And, and I think when you, I think our tendency could be thinking, oh, on Saturday, I'm just going to focus on laundry or, or these things about family, taking care of myself and doing this. But you can make some room. To just say, oh, let's try to meet someone over for a coffee. And our house doesn't need to be super tidy or doesn't need to be like extraordinary prepared. We don't need to create these amazing meals or because sometimes these are excuses, you know, like I don't have time to clean the home or I don't have time to cook. And then, so um, I would say that first thing is when we stop thinking about us, you know, to manage. And, and I would say that's perhaps one one scene. A second scene, I think that something you also need to start to pray about. As I said before, it won't come naturally. <laughs> so you need to start to, to pray. Something that we started to do with some, as a kind of spiritual discipline is to do prayer walks around the neighborhood. And I remember when we moved here last summer, we didn't have any friends. And we started to walk just around some buildings and say, God, let us meet someone and start a friendship with someone. And you guide us to those encounters. And I would say that he has been responding to that prayer. And he has been providing to you or home as well. And now we have a place where we can also hosted someone overnight and that has been a blessing and we were praying for that so i would say the first as well we need that kind of willingness and and that awareness how we're using our time and then bring that 
to go and say, God help me, guide me to those encounters. If I don't have perhaps enough room in her place or perhaps I'm struggling to get a job or maybe my income is so low, could you just provide so we can also host? And I think that prayer could be a very practical, simple thing that everyone could do easily. I think when we do that prayer, I think we are reclaiming and saying also that it's going to be his will will be done. And and I think in that way, we are renouncing to our own will and um, making a kind of new commitment to see his will active around us. I don't know if that kind of um, makes sense, but so for me, it's coming from if we want to receive and see his kingdom here, we need to renounce to something that is coming from us and from our, according to our will. Walking and have their eyes open and be like, in the parks, on the street, looking for those people who are available. Like they exist in all of our neighborhoods, so they're going to be different people. And and I think as well, when Jesus says, when you throw a party, he assumes we have parties. When you throw a party, don't just invite those who can repay you, invite you back, invite those who can't. I think that's such a common, I mean, it's so easy for us. Like we're a young married couple. It's easy for us just to invite other Christian married couples over to our home. And all our free time, we're just going to spend with other Christian married couples, right? That's like the, that's the natural thing to do. But I think what we've been trying to do is we want to get to know some of these other Christians in our church. Maybe it's like our birthday or we want to have a party or something like, okay, we invite them, but also we're going to invite other people. And in that way too, we're not the only ones to getting to know these neighbors who are asylum seekers. We, we want to introduce them to our other church friends. We want to introduce them, other Christians, um, and to mix those groups. It just takes that intentionality of, like, okay, we could just invite this one couple over, or we can invite as well this, this single guy who's got nothing to do, who's never met a Christian before, except for us, you know? And we've been recently inspired by a couple of our friends too. She recently decided to, to quit her job because we're like, you know what? We can survive off just one salary. And these are new Christians, like quite new and good friends of ours. And they've been inspired to like, she wants to spend her time with neighbors, cooking for neighbors, supporting neighbors with appointments. We can live more simply off just one salary or some people will maybe reduce their hours so that you have the time. And that's really beautiful when people can make those decisions when the assumption is we need to be making more and more money, working more and more because we want upward mobility. We want a bigger place. We want to be more secure financially when maybe that's not a value of the kingdom. And that's, I think, where the church can really be a gift too. Like we can use our church space to host English conversation and we can make a flyer and put it up in the building where some seekers are living and see who's interested. We met people that way, like in trying to connect our churches with asylum seekers and them with our churches. And so that's something too, there's a unique opportunity to, to be relational spaces and be on an equal level versus one's a helper, one's a recipient. And then instead of relationship, okay, if someone has real needs, whether it's advocacy for healthcare or something, or needs a bicycle to get around or like, 
it's out of relationship and in a church community that we can we can like work together in that. And then it's very natural versus having the weird power dynamic. It's more of like, it's more out of friendship that we can help each other. So I think Connect Middle Churches is really important for us. And we're connected to three churches in our neighborhood that we have friends at and that we're, we're involved with because we know it just, it's going to be more than just one church. And when people get moved, you want to connect them to another church because there they're going to meet Christians. And so we're trying to blur the lines of the church in a sense of like bridge the gaps. I hope you have been blessed by these inspiring stories and practical tips. Maybe you can start by praying the commitment of celebration that inner change, the global new monastic order among the poor that Sam and Ruth belong to, hold on to. I will celebrate the light of Christ in a world of darkness, the life of Christ in a culture of death, the liberty of Christ in a kingdom of captivity, and the hope of Christ in an age of despair. I will rejoice always and in everything give thanks. Last but not least, I asked both of them about their dream for the future. If they could wish for one thing to happen, this would be it. For me, my dream is to experience the parable of the banquet as the church. I love parties and I love that Jesus loves parties, but I guess my dream is that the church experiences the parable of the banquet rather than being secluded from the neighborhood. I would say that the dream for me is that every household can experience Jesus as the host, but also as the guest. And you can experience that through welcoming strangers to your home. You've listened to God on the Move, Lausanne Movement Podcast, where we want to listen to mission stories from the global church. Through listening to what God is doing around the world, we hope to encourage and challenge the global church to faithful obedience to the Great Commission. So let's accelerate global mission together toward a vision for the gospel for every person, disciple-making churches for every people and place, Christ-like leaders in every church and sector, and kingdom impact in every sphere of society. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us for more.